Welcome back to Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series where we talk about topics of interest to our small business community in the region. Today, um, we're going to get back on the track of talking about the economy, but in particular, we want to talk about the state of the real estate market, and both on a residential basis and on a commercial basis. Um, we did a similar podcast several years ago, I think pre-pandemic, uh, on this topic, and with the market dynamics having changed so much uh, since the pandemic, we thought it was a good time to kind of provide an, uh, an update uh, on this in this topic as relates to the real estate markets. With me again, um, uh, who was also with me uh, several years ago when we first did this, is Doug Locker. Doug is the president of um, Kuzneski and Locker uh, Real Estate, which is a Howard Hanna affiliate uh, residential real estate brokerage firm in Indiana, PA, as well as president of Enterprise Real Estate Advisors, which is a commercial uh, real estate firm uh, with offices here uh, near the bank in Allison Park. Doug, welcome back. Thanks, Dave. You <laughs> must have been such a popular guest. It took <laughs> almost three years to get back here. Yeah, so, you know, obviously um, a lot has happened in the economy overall, but in particular, um, real estate, you know, has, has seen some real volatility, uh, particularly since the pandemic a few years ago, kind of to set the plate. And I think most of us all remember the Great Recession, you know, uh, real estate was kind of a uh, the oversaturation of the real estate market and highly leveraged financing and all that kind of crazy mortgage, uh, those crazy mortgage deals that were out there kind of led to in a big part to the financial meltdown and the Great Recession. Um, and now we're in a little bit of a different dynamic here because we have the effects of the COVID-19 related pandemic in 2020-21, and now we have an inflationary and uh, higher interest rate environment. And all these dynamics kind of play into what's happening with real estate. Um, so what I wanted to dig in with you today, Doug, is to kind of talk about um, some different aspects of, the, of that market. And we'll start on the resi side because I think uh, you know, everyone can relate to this if if they're either looking to buy or sell a home or if they're even looking at just refinancing a home uh, at this point. So kind of general question, where are we right now with regard to, um, you know, kind of historical dynamics versus where things are at right now in the residential market? Uh, well, uh, oversimplification is a transition. Um, we've experienced over really the past four years, you know, quite the unpredictable ride in real estate in general, but specifically residential. Uh, the pandemic certainly had very significant and marked impacts on the residential market. Yeah, in a really different way than the rest of the economy, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there was a thought process when we, uh, after we, you know, last I did this podcast, uh, the sentiment once the pandemic hit is the bottom was going to fall out of the real estate market. Uh, really across the board, didn't happen. Uh, you can, there's considerable debate as to why the market uh, reacted the way it did. Certainly there was lots of liquidity pumped into the system, both 
in the residential markets as well as the commercial markets. Uh, folks were spent the better part of a year at home, saved up at money, savings accounts, or, you know, liquidity really blossomed. And when things started to uh, move towards the post-pandemic, people came out of their shells and they came out, you know, with a with a, a vengeance. Yeah, and so, in a very low interest rate environment at, at the conclusion of the pandemic. Exactly. Right. I mean, from where rates were right before the pandemic to where they bottomed out. Uh, and again, depending on where you were in the country, in your market, I mean, you had 30-year fixed rates that were below 3%. Yeah. I think so, I I think I read that the kind of the bottom from the mortgage rate market residentially was probably like mid twenty one, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, as we um, you know ventured into the latter stages of twenty one through the first half of twenty two, the market really stayed fairly strong. Rates, even though they showed signs late in twenty one and early twenty two of creeping up, uh, didn't really have much of a dampening effect. When rates started really ramping up. Later in 22, you saw quite a bit of uh, market reaction residential. Uh, year over year, in our region, overall residential sales were off just right, just short of 20%. Yeah, which 21 to 22. Now nationally, yeah, we was, actually did better than the national. We did. Yeah, um, but if you were bisecting 22 into the first half of the year and the second, low. <laughs> Uh, impacts early in the year and then fairly substantial. So right. just for example sake, sales might have been down 5% the first half of 22, but then they right. hit yeah. almost 30% the second half to, to fall out for the year around 20. Okay. And what's it looking like so far this year? I mean, it's, um, it's, Again, an interesting dynamic for different reasons. Um, oddly enough, while sales are down, both transaction counts and volume, uh, for the early part, and obviously we're only just completed February, the median and average home prices regionally have actually held their own or ticked up slightly. A couple of reasons for that. Uh, inventory still remain very tight across most price ranges. So the buyers that are out there will be them fewer, uh, and it is taking more days on market, longer time to sell, uh, have you know not much to look at. So the balance of supply and demand still in some areas and in some price ranges favors the sellers. Right. Um, other reason you have a stable to slight uptick in average and median home prices, and this is probably common sense, the first people priced out of the housing market are those that are, are of less financial ability. So the transactions that are occurring tend to be in the higher price ranges versus lower. So when you have transaction counts dropping, but the activity there is, is in the higher price ranges, hence you see average and median home prices. I would say they've already plateaued, but they are still inching up largely due to those dynamics and 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 that's a divergence from the national numbers too it I is. believe and I'll just hypothesize here and I'm not a real estate guy like you are but uh, you know at least what we see from the bank side is you know we have 
obviously no surprise, we have a, a fairly um, senior aged population here um, compared to you know other markets that are relying a lot on first time home buyers. And it seems like, you know, that profile older couple, older individual is not necessarily relying on borrowing right. to the same extent. So this interest rate environment we're in right now may not have as big as impact on prices or volumes in our region than as national. You agree with that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, that's a reasonable hypothesis. Yeah. You know, uh, and our uh, region has a pretty long uh, history of being much less volatile than the national market as a whole and certainly various regions of the, comp of the country. So all those factors kind of come together. And again, our older, older demographic uh, to, you know, we don't boom as much as other markets boom and we certainly don't uh, retreat as much as many other markets retreat. Right. So we talked about volumes, obviously, you know, 30% nationally, um, you know, 20% regionally. What about prices? Uh, again, housing prices, they've certainly plateaued. Okay. Um, the activity in the lower price ranges has, you know, certainly fallen off more so than the, the, the mid, you know, I'll call it the mainstream market. Um, where, where is our average home price in the region? I'm not... um, again, the, you know, defining region right. changes that <laughs> answer, but, uh, you know, by and large, uh, you're looking at home, probably the typical home is going to be two hundred fifty to $350,000. Okay. Now, as you venture away from the city and the suburban areas, that comes it, down a little it, bit. It does, yeah. um, you know. So overall, you know that lower inventory is you know helping us. But I do believe that we're have probably seen the best days of the twenty three residential real estate market, and more challenging days are ahead. Okay. Um, as you well know, the interest rate environment and latest economic news certainly suggest that interest rates are going nowhere but up. Right. Uh, and I mean, it's been dramatic. I mean, we just talked mid-21, we're down in the 3% mortgage rate range. Now we're six plus. Yeah. As I said, typically uh, less financially capable people are priced out first. Those middle and upper ranges, as rates go up, tend to pull the trigger and make their purchase before it gets worse. Right. But there comes a time when rates will hit that even the more financially capable buyers wait are going to wait. Another contributing factor to low inventory, we're already seeing sellers being reluctant to put their homes up for sale because they think the market is, you know, has plateaued and perhaps heading, you know, into a buyer. Yeah, because I mean, let's be honest, most sellers have to buy something else to live in. <laughs> they, they do. So yeah. again. Uh, it's kind of a natural function of residential real estate where there's move up buyers. You got to have something to move up to, right? If you're going to sell in a discretionary, you know, uh, decision. Yeah. Uh, certainly, those that are relocating to or from the area they don't have a choice. They don't yeah. have a choice, but you know, those uh, buyers and sellers that are di making discretionary decisions are showing signs of pulling back. Right. So within the residential realm. Um, you know, it's not like it was 20 years ago when it was single family homes and, 
and that was the primary supply. What what's kind of hot right now? I know we have a lot of developments here locally, patio style homes, townhouse type developments. What are you seeing there? Yeah, I mean, certainly again demographically, you okay. know the the patio homes again. I you know the let's just say the fifty five and over buyers that are downsizing. Right. You know those types of products uh, still appear to have some momentum. Again, I would expect that to wane also as again as those folks that want to downsize don't have buyers for their homes, they stay put. Right. Okay. The other impact we're seeing is in, you know, not to jump off of single family residential, but the rental market, multi-unit apartments and other forms of rentals have strengthened. And again, that's always been kind of an inverse relationship, right? Between the home, you know, the single family home market and the apartment market right it has uh you know when folks get priced out of being able to purchase homes they either stay renting or they ultimately you know just rent somewhere else uh recent releases from uh national association of realtors you may have read again nationally uh, rents appear to have peaked mm -hmm. another sing signal that buyers and sellers in the market are kind of looking at a pause when folks were getting priced out of the housing market, rents were going up. I mean, they went up at fairly record rates, certainly compared to inflation. Um, those appear to have plateaued as well. So I think if you can, it's too, it's easy to overgeneralize, <laughs> right. but buyers, sellers, landlords, tenants. Uh, kind of a wait and see. It, uh, it, yeah. Exactly, it appears the impacts of the of the economic conditions we're in, inflationary right. and others, uh, and the interest rate environment, are causing, you know, buyers, sellers, landlords, tenants to step back and pause. And I would say we're uh, in that transition, you know, as you and I are talking today. Um, you know, where it goes from here, uh, I think the consensus is again. The housing market is going to continue to weaken because interest rates are going to go up again, further pricing folks out of the market and keeping sellers reluctant. Right. What I would advise anyone listening that's considering buying or selling, however, is you can't just paint the whole regional market with the same brush. It certainly depends where you're at, location, location, right. location. Right. And what the inventory levels of say, in that homes location in that location. Yeah. Okay. So it's really easy to get wrapped up in the national stats. And even though I'm drilling them down more right. regional, best advice I can give anyone is seek out your real estate professional and have an evaluation done in your specific market. Right. If you find inventory is really low, you may actually get your home sold quickly and it may actually sell it more than you were asking still. That's certainly the exception uh, compared to the last couple of years. But where inventory is tight, it's still happening. Conversely, if there's a ton of inventory in your category, probably best to sit back and wait, wait. if you can. Right. So kind of a little bit of a segue. You talked about, you know, um, individuals reaching out to their real estate professional. That's, that's being done in a different way now too, I understand. 
your line of business in real estate brokerage has gone through a lot of changes in terms of how that process is delivered and handled um, with the advent of technology and, and different kinds of platforms, right? It has. And I mean, like many industries, it's going to continue to evolve and evolve quickly. Um, uh, there are some uh, apps for your phone now, uh, one of which is uh, known as Nestor, where you can literally drive up to a home that you see on the market, take a photo of it, and their database can tell you the bedroom count, the square footage, and in some cases, I'm not sure I understand yeah. the data source, when the roof was replaced, when appliances have been replaced, HVAC, what major renovations have been done right on your phone. So not to uh, uh, say or wish that real estate agents are going to be a thing of the past. Right. The technology is really advancing, specifically on the residential side, um, to allow the consumer, be they a seller or a buyer of a home, access to data and information that, you know, I know I'm dating the technology that you used to get from a website or, right. or from your agent. Right. So the technology is going to continue to advance. Um, I will tell you it's much more effective in urban and developed areas than where it is you have where the data, data is more, yeah. more sophisticated. Yeah, if you're in a, yeah. even if you're in a, you might not be that all that far, say, from the city of Pittsburgh, you're not really considered rural, but the amount of data and transactional activity is such that the data isn't yielding quite the same degree of accuracy. Yeah. I know we have that same struggle when we're start doing lean searches and different things in rural counties. I mean, you got Allegheny County, it's fully automated. All those records are online yeah. and available through, you know, a website or an account. Some of these rural, uh, more rural areas, they're not fully automated or fully electronic yet. So I can right. see the data gaps that you'd be dealing with, which again goes back to, you know, the value of a good realtor um, in terms of local market intelligence. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I've been, I've been in, in real. That was a layup, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate the softball, but yeah, I mean, I've been practicing real estate since. Uh, yeah, 1986. Yeah. I mean, suffice to say, the, the changes in the last really five years have been just astronomical compared to they were, you know, the prior 30 years of right. my career. So all that, in my view, is a good thing, you know, for consumers. Um, information in many things in life and good information is critical to making good decisions. That information is now far more yeah. available it's sometimes difficult to interpret without expertise. And that's where that's where the agent or yeah. broker still comes in. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't mean this to, I guess maybe I do. Everything you see or read on the internet, you can't believe it. <laughs> Somewhat the same applies with real estate. I think you can get a good direction from the information available through today's real estate technology. Yeah. But it still takes boots on the ground with actual knowledge being involved in actual transactions, you know, to kind of read those tea leaves and, and get, get or give good advice. Right. Plus, it's still ultimately a negotiation between buyer and seller. It is. But again, yeah. when both sides are fairly informed, informed, I mean, in a perfect world, if both sides are well-informed, have uh, well-trained and, and experienced agents, 
you arrive at a fair market value, a fair price. Uh, when those don't occur, as with almost any business or any transaction, one party's either more or less informed or better or not represented by the folks they're working with. Yeah. Well, let's change gears a little bit. I'll ask you to take off your Kazneski and Lockard residential hat and put on your enterprise real estate advisors commercial hat. Obviously, that's a market near and dear to me being a commercial lender at, at, at the bank and much more, I don't want to say, much more complicated <laughs> yeah. in the commercial realm because we've got so many different property types and so many different dynamics that are out there right now. So let's talk overall again. Uh, what have you seen or what have you heard um, in terms of what's going on overall in the commercial real estate market from a sales volume pricing perspective? Again, overall to this point, I mean, year over year, uh, you know, I did see some declines, but not the same levels as the residential market. Okay. Um, the decline, and again, it's awful tough because the categories These are so various. Yeah. There's, yeah. Uh, unlike homes, the, you know, the need of the, of the user uh, very much drives the demand as well as the value. So as a categorical statement, transaction counts were down, uh, but really only about 5%. Uh, again, average and median commercial sale prices were still up year over year, about 10%. Um, I'd have a similar comment. My belief is uh, those are plateauing if they've not already plateaued. Well, there's a direct, and we'll get into this here in a second, but there's a direct correlation on the interest rate environment and, and commercial values because it's basically... You know, commercial values are driven off the income that the property produces, and as the or, borrowing rates go or up, or the overhead it produces for the business that's producing products or services. Right. right. Okay. So, is their cost of doing business, because the interest rate on a home, not that it doesn't affect inflation, affects everybody, right. but on a homeowner, you're getting a thirty-year fixed rate in most cases, so your exposure is pretty well fixed. Fine. Right. Yeah. Not so much in commercial. Um, look at what's happened in commercial rates here, you know, just in the last six months. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, just for point of comparison for our listeners and viewers, I mean, you know, uh, you know, soon after the pandemic, when the commercial, uh, you know, the interest rate environment was much lower, we were doing commercial loans typically in the, you know, 5% range. We're now in the seven plus percent range. Well, and certainly when you take that into account, and typically commercial loans are shorter uh, term, you know, uh, than residential. I mean, that drives up the you know that drives up the the cost, or certainly hits the cash flow right quicker and harder, you know, in the commercial sector. Um, you know, so I'm, I think the impact on the commercial market uh, is really already plateaued. And with what it sounds like a few more rate hikes here, you know, maybe as soon as this month yeah. and beyond are going to start taking further hold and, you know, contract, if you will, or uh, impact the commercial market. Yeah, because you've got operating costs going up for companies because of inflation. You've got their borrowing costs going up with the interest rate curve. Um, and, you know, rents aren't necessarily going up. Um, right. So you get this compression so what has to give the value of the property right and the amount of borrowing 
And like any yeah. other uh, market, there are segments. Yeah, let's are... let's let's kind of get into that because it is a tale of ten cities. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning, you know, we had we have some property types that are just booming, and yeah. we've got others that are depressed. So it's kind of hard, like we said, to put it a brush on the whole thing. So let's let's get into some specifics. Let's talk about the hot ones, warehousing. Yeah, uh, I mean. And industrial goes with that. but It yeah. does, and a lot of the industrial um, uh, is a combination uh, of the actual industrial activities and the warehousing mm. needed to you know, conduct it. So warehousing uh, started taking off rather rapidly. Uh, I'm going to call it during, but certainly immediately after the pandemic. That related to e-commerce? Essentially, yes. I mean, okay. what... I mean, obviously, e-commerce had been growing fairly robustly as it was, again, with consumers of all types, businesses and individuals, sitting at home, for lack of a better word, and, and realizing that they could still make the purchases and things they needed online. It just uh, it, you know, caused the need for warehousing and logistics to explode. Yeah. Um, I think it's a given that we're not going back to the good old days, you know, um, and the demand, albeit slower in e-commerce is still accelerating well above every other uh, business transaction type or even personal transaction type. So uh, I think if you look again around the country and there's some of it going on regionally, despite construction costs, uh, construction of new warehousing and logistics facilities are you know, uh, continuing at an accelerated rate or pace. I think there's probably another dynamic there that is kind of related to the pandemic. Obviously, supply chain shortages and delays really caused problems for a lot of businesses. And I'm, you know, everybody that I'm talking to on the small business side is increasing their inventories now to avoid that. Yes, uh, in the future, and that needs space. It, it does, and again, I think that's where you feed on the industrial space. I mean, yeah. those that are already in manufacturing or industrial, you know, manufacturing processes, learn their lesson quickly from the supply chain uh, meltdowns, you know, caused by the pandemic. So, uh, everybody used to be lean and mean. It was not the best practice to have a lot of inventory and have your capital tied up yeah. in those resources. Well, we learned a real quick lesson, you know, why the pendulum swung, swung too far. So, again, the warehousing of the, specifically the raw materials and the others to get things to market, and then on-site inventory, if you will, for the production and manufacturing of those goods, certainly changed dramatically over the last uh, three to four years. Yeah. And the nice thing I'm seeing with the warehousing component is, you know, uh, a big factor is logistics. And we have some rural parts of our market that are very well logistically situated, um, you know, to benefit uh, their warehousing spaces to benefit from that. Yeah, and it, it, it to the extent you can categorize it, it has created some sprawl. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously in more urban and developed areas, yeah, again, the inventory is tight, land costs and other things, right. not to mention construction costs. Um, so companies are able to weigh out the uh, 
let's just call it the distance factor. I can be another 20, 30, 40 minutes down the road and have my facility and you know my cost of that facility are less than the difference in transportation cost to cover the distance. Yeah. Okay. So obviously warehousing industrial is hot. We already kind of alluded to the fact that multifamily seems to be still pretty strong yep. because of this dynamic with, you know, people getting priced out of the home market and, and moving in, you know, uh, to rental type situations. The one that is kind of on the bubble for me and I'm kind of looking for your insight is, you know, retail. Everybody was talking about the demise of retail, right? After the pandemic and e-commerce going up. But now I'm starting to read that experience, they call it experiential retail or, you know, smaller retail footprints are getting hot again. Is this true? It is. Okay. Um, uh, You mentioned two different types. Experiential uh, attracts a different type of retail occasion. Um, But your other comment about, you know, the smaller spaces um, is had a lot of traction too. A number of large name retailers that you all would have expected to see at malls or shopping centers at 10,000 square feet. Thought process with, you know, e-commerce and everything is they're, they're, they're going to shrink up, meaning consolidate stores and leave certain locations. Not really seeing that. They're shrinking up the stores in all locations when it's possible. Obviously, Mm -hmm. many of these Retailers are in leases. Um, you don't get to just stop paying your rent on space you don't need. Right. But where the opportunity comes up, they're shrinking in their footprints. You know, by as much as fifty to, yeah, I, I would say, thirty to fifty percent. Because again, uh, bricks and mortar traffic is down, uh, but they're also still seeing it and the market presence still has a value you know to to them and the and make an inventory product in a warehousing facility and deliver it bingo yeah okay so even retail has taken more of a almost like a showroom warehouse type it's a good analogy um, okay yeah. um again in our area that's particularly true because of our demographic again yeah. uh, being part of it i'm still used to going to the to my retailer touching, feeling, seeing what I want, and then buying it. Or if, if it's a repeat purchase, I'm going online. Okay, right. I don't need to go back. So um, our region demographically still values, and the retailers in our region still value a bricks and mortar presence, just not to the magnitude that that there was certainly pre-pandemic. Right. Okay, but you're... You are picking up on yet another trend, and that's the experiential type retail or, or visitor activity. Yeah. Whether it's not just about the item or items being purchased, it's experience related to all that. Right. So another reason, or another, um, hate to use the word gimmick, but another angle to you know keep customers engaged, you know both physically with the retailer and their products. Well, let's talk about the uh, the big question mark, the office market. So, um, obviously, other than uh, what it did uh, 
to the economy as a whole, both positive and negative in some circumstances, COVID really changed the face of the office market, right? Yeah. Um, and we still have some of the largest companies, particularly with such a tight labor market that, you know, a lot of workers are remote, maybe forever at this point. But I'm understanding that the top of the market, what they call the class A properties, but you know, everybody's vying for the best space, the most flexible and employee friendly space. Um, but we, as most cities do have office towers <laughs> that are somewhat dated and are minimally full compared to what they were. What's your take on office? Um, I mean, you know, you pretty well characterized, you know, the, you know, some of the dynamics going on, uh, the office market in general, both for sale and for lease, uh, has probably seen the biggest, um, adverse impacts, you know, post COVID. Um, there is still a significant oversupply of space, both for sale or for lease, um, as companies, you know, evaluated, you know, the effectiveness of remote working and to what extent they still needed, you know, bricks and mortar or, you know, the, the traditional office environment. Um, that dramatic shift is going to take quite a few years to work itself out. Yeah, I was thinking to myself as a commercial lender, most big office leases, particularly when you get into big buildings, those are 10-year leases. And we haven't seen the impact of those leases coming due or maturing and what the companies are going to do next. Well, you've seen some in yeah. the sense that uh, many of the companies are you know, shrinking their footprint and subletting their space. Okay. I mean, relatively speaking, what demand is out there is for smaller space. So if you're locked into a 10-year lease at 25 bucks a square foot and you only need half of it, but you can rent the other half, even if it's only at 15 a square foot, you've mitigated some of your cost and ride out the lease. So the effects of subletting is still being felt. Um, overall, you know, rents, you know, have gone down and gone down fairly considerably. Um, and I don't see that trend reversing. Again, I will say, I think the worst of it is over, but now you're looking at a, still a serious oversupply of space. Yeah, and the best properties will rise to the top. Again, I, I think that goes with any type of right. real estate, you know, the best properties, and again, location, location, location. And amenities now at this point, too. And I was going to say, we I think you were alluding to that. Yeah. Uh, to attract employees back to the workplace, many employers are now looking at, uh, and some of them, even if they're in a long-term lease, are creating the amenities in the excess space they have to entice you know their uh, staff to come back. At least for several days of the work week, you know, to be physically in, in say, an office. Right. Um, and obviously the most hardest hit kind of micro segment of uh, the real estate market is obviously the lodging market. Mm -hmm. You know, um, huge devaluations in the hotel business. Starting to see that come back, but, you know, not gangbusters yet. Right? Yeah, again, I think that's kind of been an, uh, an industry that's been, you know, rocked to its foundations. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and I, I know, you know, we talk about it, you know, uh, at the bank, you know, during loan committee in particular, the hospitality properties of all types, not just hotels, right. but again, certain types of, you know, restaurants or venues uh, got rocked. And I mean, the devaluations were historic. Yeah. All of them have made somewhat of a comeback, but still remain a far cry, you know, from the values that they would have commanded. And again, you're in a situation of such oversupply that it's going to take quite a bit of time. Um, and obviously we should never forget things like COVID. I mean, I know there may have been, right. a, you know, last one was what, 1917 Spanish flu. Yeah. Never going to happen again. Well, hundred some odd years later. Right. So, I mean, but I do think, you know, time will fade those memories and, Certainly some of the, uh, I mean, you know, the younger generation, you know, may have new ha new habits that won't change. Some of us that are a little older will, will gravitate back to what we used to be comfortable with. Right. So I do think a continued recovery in those segments is going to happen. It's going to be slow and long, though. Great synopsis, multiple property types. Um you know, everything's location specific, everything's property type specific, um, and those outside economic factors are having you know, more impact than I, I think they probably ever have in my lifetime on the real estate market. Obviously, you know, small businesses and consumers on the, on the home side, we talked about the value of the expertise. So just give our listeners kind of a sense as to what the capabilities of um, both Kuzneski and Lockhart and Enterprise Real Estate Advisors. I mean, the capabilities are similar, just obviously in different arenas. Right. I mean, in the residential market, um, we possess the database and certainly uh, the experienced uh, agents and staff, you know, to help a, a homeowner navigate, you know, whether it's purchasing or selling, selling yeah. you know, the market conditions that are specific to where they're located. Again, it's real easy to paint the market with a broad brush. Uh, but with the changes that have been taking place, and especially the speed at which they've been taking place, getting that information and getting good information, uh, utilizing an experienced agent who's out there seeing you know, and touching the deals that are, that are going on uh, is even more valuable today than it was when the market's hot. Right. Um, you know, when things are flying off the shelves, what expertise is really needed? <laughs> right. It's when the markets are are in transition, be it a good in a good direction or not, that the advice becomes more valuable and more critical, you know, for someone to make yeah. the, a decision that's in their best interest. Uh, commercial side, uh, all that is also true, but it is also much more um, important. Uh, the, the amount of data and the need of the small business owner or or the investor or other things are vastly different. When someone's purchasing a home, they're obviously yeah. looking. So, and the transactional data, that's what all the buyers and sellers are right. doing. When you get into commercial or investment real estate, very much driven by the need, the intended use, and again, location, 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 it's awful hard to get that expertise from simply you know surfing the net. 
that is very much uh, a function of how active your agent or broker is in the yeah. market, um, how why are they in they are to financing and other tools that you need as a buyer uh, or a seller to accomplish the goal you need to accomplish for your business or for yeah. commercial real estate need. Yeah. Not for me to give the commercial for you guys, but I, I think one of the great advantages you have, particularly in the commercial realm, is you've got the expertise from also from an appraisal perspective and from a construction perspective, because that I see is the, one of the biggest challenges right now is the cost of construction and, and uh, efficiency in the construction process. Yeah, I mean, that goes with any any profession. I mean, yeah. and, uh, I mean, I happen to be an appraiser also, uh, and I've been a real estate developer and in construction. Yeah. So, uh, again, especially if you're going to be in the commercial, the need for commercial real estate advice, uh, best process is to interview agents yeah. and brokers, try and learn their background, see how well it fits with, with what needs you're trying to accomplish. Um, doesn't mean that a that a younger agent, you know, may not be able to to do the job. The fundamental knowledge will be there, but it's that experience factor, right? In multiple areas, not just hey, I've listed and sold real estate for the last twenty years, right? Okay. So, how can our viewers and listener listeners find find you? Well, um, you know, we have a uh, website, you know, Enterprise Real Estate advisors uh, we can be found there in addition to our website uh, our residential division Howard Hanna uh, Kuzneski and Lockard real estate can be found on Instagram and Facebook um, certainly we're affiliated with the bank right uh, if you're already a, a customer of the bank uh, reach out through your your relationship manager um, you know and, and one of the things we provide clients and customers of the bank whether they need real estate services or not is some is sometime helpful market data and information right. that they can use not only as it pertains to real estate but but you know to their businesses so we like to consider ourselves especially to bank clients and customers uh, resources for information not just a provider of you know brokerage or leasing services right and again that's you know, for, for our viewers and listeners, that's, again, part of the I, ecosystem we're trying to develop here at the bank that I've talked about several times in the past, where we've tried to put uh, get affiliates and subsidiaries that can support all the needs of a particular business. Doug, thanks so much for the time and expertise. Obviously, very unique times in your world and in the economy in general. For those of you that um, have specific questions or suggestions for future topics, you can reach out to us at inside the vault at enterprisebankpgh.com. And you can check us out in video format on YouTube and in audio on all the major podcast platforms. Thank you very much.